Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Do you feel prepared? I mean, I guess as as much as I ever am. (laughs) Me too. All right, let's do it. back to the Over the Monster podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux. And today I am joined by Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru for episode 130. This is your, oh, what day is today, Keaton? It is uh, September 2nd. Um, so this is your, you're probably going to be listening to this on September 3rd. And uh, we're going to talk about September call-ups today. We're going to talk a little bit about the Arizona Fall League roster, and we're going to answer some listener questions. We're also going to kind of update you on where the Red Sox are in their current playoff hunt. So, Keaton, before we get into everything, how has your past week been? It's had its ups and downs. Uh, I had to get my car towed because it wouldn't start yesterday, but... I got a pumpkin coffee from Dunkin', so I'm feeling better. Pumpkin coffee, is that good? Yeah, it is good. Interesting. All right. Well, let's get to it then. September call-ups have happened for the Red Sox, some of them. The ones that uh, happened on the first day of September. And they are as follows. Right-handed pitcher David Price was activated from the IL, made his start, only went a couple innings. Uh Julius Chassin, right-handed pitcher, was signed to a minor league deal and then brought up to the team. Gorky Hernandez was called up. Juan Centeno, Hector Velasquez, Travis Lakins, and Ryan Weber. Not exactly the most exciting crop of uh, 
people here. No. The one that was the most interesting to me was uh, Chassin, though, because I think that kind of indicates that the Red Sox are still planning on plowing ahead as best they can for the wild card spot, which is something that, I mean, really since like the trade deadline, right? We've had this question um, pretty much every week. It's like, should the Red Sox keep going for it or should they give up? Uh, and all signs point to them still plowing right ahead for it. And with the, the comments that um, Cora's made recently about basically treating the rest of the season like playoffs and um, keeping the guys focused on that really seems like that's the one that, that stood out to me. I mean, not that Chassin's going to be like a savior of the pitching staff, but with all the injuries that they've had, they did need another starter or someone who could like go multiple innings to put together. Because they've basically been putting together bullpen days uh, two out of every five starts for like, a little over a week, maybe two weeks now. So with that being as taxing as it is, they needed somebody else who could go either start or multiple innings to try and spell them. And um, that's what Shasin's going to do. So that one was the most interesting to me. Yeah, I do think that one's sort of the most instructive and uh, enlightening as to, to where the Red Sox are right now. I agree with you on all your points that you made. Um, Chessine, just to give you an update on what he's done this year in his time with Milwaukee, 88.2 innings pitched, um, 5.79 ERA. Everything looks fairly similar to his numbers last year, aside from that ERA in the home run to fly ball ratio. Uh, he's been getting crushed on those uh, home runs uh, this season, and his ground ball rate is down uh, from where it has been through most of his career. So he's certainly not having a good season, which is why he was released. But you're absolutely right that this is the type of guy that can give a lot of length to this bullpen. And I also think that the addition of all these arms to the bullpen for September is going to go a long way to make sure that the Red Sox are able to protect the arms that they want to protect in games that they're out of and use the good arms that they have in games that they are ahead, um, which is something that hasn't been the easiest thing for Alex Cord to do is manage you know, all these pitchers and use them in the ideal situations. So I do think that all this added flexibility is going to go a long way for the Red Sox as they, you know, head down the stretch and, and do their best to claw back into this thing. Yeah, for sure. And the September call-ups have also given them a chance to add some depth to the outfield. Um, I believe Gorky Hernandez was playing yesterday. Um, so that's something that they have really lacked I mean, all all season. Not that, again, not that Corcus Hernandez is going to be a savior, but if he's some kind of spell to the lack of depth that they've had in the outfield, then it's not going to hurt. Yeah. Um, why do you think they ended up calling up Juan Centeno? Do you think he's just there to give the guys a little bit more of a rest, say, late in games if the game's out of hand? Or where? how do you think he's going to be used? That, so... That made me think that they plan on using Vasquez at first more. Okay. And needed another catcher to catch. Interesting. Okay. Well, let's let's talk about where the Red Sox stand right now because I think we've already done enough talking about kind of alluding to this. But the Red Sox, as it seems right now on the off day, are 74 and 63. 
They're five games out of the wild card, and they're still chasing the same teams that they've been chasing this whole time. Tampa Bay has the first wild card spot. Cleveland has the second wild card spot, and Oakland is right behind those two, just a half game out of that second wild card spot. So they still need a tremendous amount of things to break correctly, but you have to think that of all the teams that these September call-ups are going to help, the position that the Red Sox are in right now, it seems like this is probably the team that's going to help the most. Also, the Red Sox have upped their chances of making the playoffs uh, to 8.5%, according to fan graphs. So, Keaton, maybe your uh, your optimism was not as as uh, ill-placed as, as some of our listeners thought. Yeah, still 25 games left to go. So, a game every five games, right? That's yeah. not, like, super unthinkable. I don't think that the schedule, I think this this is the part that's going to get them the most, is the teams that like Oakland and Cleveland are playing are bad. And so it's going to basically fall on, can they sweep the Rays? Is it next week? Or in in a week and a half or whatever? Uh, And if they do, then that's probably their best chance at really making chunk improvement on that five games. But hope is not not gone yet yeah they're going to keep fighting for this thing and we did get a listener question today from ben jacobson uh asking do you think core should handle these final 25 games or so as playoff games continuing to tax the bullpen really hard down the stretch or should you just try and get some looks at the minor leaguers implicitly waving the white flag on the season i think you kind of answered that um and Cora has answered that at every turn. Like, he's not giving up on this season. No one in that clubhouse is giving up on the season. As long as it is mathematically possible for them to make the playoffs, they're going to continue to push this pitching staff as hard as humanly possible uh, in order to to make that ground up. So I, I, I can't see a scenario where they're going to quit fighting for it before then. Nope. I don't think so either. I think you hit it on the head, too, with the September call-ups. That'll allow Cora to be more strategic about using his good relievers when it matters and his bad relievers when it doesn't. And that's something that is probably going to help him when pushing the pitching staff to you know, get the best out of these last 25 games. That'll be helpful for him to have in his pocket. Absolutely. Um, Chris Sale's season is officially over, though. One of the other moves that was made recently was uh, putting him on the 60-day disabled list. Um, you know, he could potentially uh, return in October because um, that's technically 60 games away or 60 days away, but that would be like really, really long shot. So uh, effectively, we're not going to see Chris Sale again for the rest of the year. We kind of knew that, but this kind of uh, makes that a certainty. Um, but there is another note to uh, about all these call-ups here. The AAA season does end today as we are recording this podcast on a Monday of Labor Day weekend. Um, so there could be more call-ups coming. And we did get a question from Kaysen uh, Sirois asking, will Bobby Dahlbeck get called up? Uh, who else what me, might we see later this month? Uh, Trevor Kelly, Sue Whalen, Erasmus Ramirez, Mike Schwarn, Bobby Pointer. He names a few guys. Uh, and then he also asks, is there a future for Josh Akimi with the Red Sox? But I want to talk about the first part of that question. So Bobby Dahlbeck and CJ Chatham seem like the two likely guys 
who would get a call up from that Pawtucket roster, and that could happen as soon as you're listening to this podcast today. Uh, do you feel that those guys will get a call, or do you think that there's just not enough playing time to go around for those guys? Dahlbuck, I think, will for sure. Uh, Chatham would be the one, just positionally, Dahlbuck can actually help um, by getting him some time at first. Um, Chatham, I guess, moving him to second could have a chance there. I think Dahlbeck more so than Chatham. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they both got called up, but I wouldn't expect Chatham to get a ton of playing time. But Dahlbeck, I think, will. Uh, whether it's enough to be impactful or just getting a look here and there, uh, I'm not so sure. But I don't see any reason for them not to let Dahlbeck get some playing time and see some major league pitching. Yeah, I mean, Cora, Cora alluded to this um, when he said that the team would be likely to add right-handed pit, uh, hitting to to the lineup with the September call-ups. And it's hard to think that by right-handed hitting, he meant Gorky Hernandez. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would tend to agree with that. <laughs> yeah, and Dahlbeck certainly can come up and impact the game right away. It's not like Dahlbeck's going to come up and immediately thrive. He could struggle mightily, and he's likely to with the style of play that he has, but you know, when, when Dahlbeck comes up, he's certainly a three true outcomes type of guy and could hit some dingers. And, you know, more obviously, I think the body certainly looks like it fits at first base. He's a big guy, like 6'4", um, the prototypical size of a first baseman, very athletic, can spell Devers over at third if you need to give him a day off. So I think there's a lot of flexibility by having a guy like Dahlbeck on the roster. Yep. I agree with that. Um, second part of this question. Do you feel like any of those other guys are likely to come up? He named a few, but outside of Dahlbeck and Chatham, do you see any other names as obvious? Uh, well, I guess focusing obvious. on Pawtucket, you know, because that's the season that's about to end. So Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I'd like to see Akami, but he's a guy that probably would get a look more in spring training than right now. Um, he's another three-outcome kind of guy. But um, he hasn't had a bad season, so I wouldn't be shocked there. And Plus, he also plays first, so if they're looking to move anything there. But, I'm yeah, I don't know if there's any obvious ones besides Chatham and Dahlbeck. Yeah, and I wonder if the addition of Chessine uh, makes it less likely that we see any of the pitchers that aren't on the 40-man. You know, we had been talking about seeing Kyle Hart or Teddy Stankiewicz potentially, or even Mike Schwarren, who is on the 40-man, who has moved back to pitching out of the rotation. So do you think that the addition of Chessine kind of makes it less likely that we see one of those starters? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. Um, and, and I feel like the, the infield is kind of crowded as it is. So you're you're probably not going to see a Sue Lin type guy if you're not going to see a, a Dahlbeck or a Chatham. I, I, I think uh, it's more likely you see the Dahlbeck or the Chatham than, than the Sue Lin because they kind of already know what Sue Lin is at this point. And I'm not sure really what he adds to the to the roster at this point in the season. Yeah. Neither do I. But I think, I mean, it's going to end up being, I think, a little mix of both. 
uh, focusing on guys that can help them directly overcome that five-game gap uh, and guys that they just want to see get an eye on for the future. Like, I don't think calling Dahlbuck up and playing him is waving the white flag because he's a potential impact bat. So if he sees, if he, you know, he continues to enjoy the the juice ball there, like he has a triple A, I mean, that's not going to be a bad thing. It's certainly going to help the Red Sox. I don't think that um, him in particular coming up and getting playing time is waving the white flag because he can definitely help them. Yeah, I agree with that too. Um, I'm going to kind of jump ahead for a second here, but we're going to talk about the AFL rosters later on in the episode, but one of the guys who's on the AFL roster uh, is CJ Chatham. Do you feel like Chatham's inclusion on that roster makes him less likely to be up uh, with the big league club in September? Because Dahlbeck's not on that list. No, I don't think so. Um, I mean, it's not like if he ends up coming up to the major leagues, then he can't go play AFL. So, no, I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think that. Last thing here. Future for Josh Ockamy on the Red Sox. This is an interesting question. Ockamy was Rule 5 eligible last year, did not get picked, even though he was not protected. Um, he's a platoon guy, left-handed bat. We talked about him as being a potential guy who would be protected, but since he wasn't protected last year, maybe that's just not the case. I'm not sure, and I kind of lean towards I don't think there is a future for Josh Ockamy with the Red Sox. Where are you on this issue? Yeah, I think, I mean, he is a platoon, and his best chance is to be part of a first-base platoon. Um and just kind of play that, like, Mitch Moreland lefty hitter role. So I think it depends on what they end up doing at first for next year. If they end up, like, I don't know, platooning him and Chavis, then he has a chance. But I really think that's probably it. Like, I don't, he's not going to get the job full-time there. And so I think it all depends on what they ultimately end up doing and what direction they take first base. Um, but I think I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards the same conclusion that you have. Like, I'm not sure there is one. Yeah. It just seemed to be so many different guys ahead of him on that first base competition for next year that it seems like internally they have a lot of guys ahead and externally, there's a lot of guys that you'd prefer to, to Akami. So I just don't think it's going to happen with this organization. I don't think it's unlikely that he ends up platooning somewhere in Major League Baseball for a team, but probably like a small market team. He just doesn't seem like the Red Sox-style solution. Nope. I don't think he does either. Yeah. Well, we wish him luck. Yeah. So those AFL rosters are out. Um, the Arizona Fall League, it's going to uh, – I believe that the Arizona Fall League actually got pushed up this year, the start date, because I remember listening to one of the minor league podcasts and they were talking about how minor leaguers had been kind of complaining that this, the season would end because a lot of minor league seasons are ending right around now. Um, almost all of them are ending right about now. Um and then these guys would go home and they'd like sit around for a month and then get called to Arizona to go play in the Arizona Fall League. So 
There was some talk about moving the start date of the Arizona Fall League up to September. I'm not sure if that kicks in this year or next year. Um, but the Red Sox do have their Arizona Fall League guys uh, picked out. They're going to be playing for the Peoria team. It's Brian Mata who's going to go, uh, Jaron Durant, Tanner Houck, CJ Chatham, Marcus Wilson, and Yoan Ibar. What do you think about this group? I was surprised there was this many. I don't, I don't remember there, the last time the Red Sox sent this many guys to AFL. But the one that I'm going to have my eyes on the most is Jaron Duran, who was obviously hitting the shit out of the ball uh, in A-ball and earned a promotion uh, a couple months into the season up to double-A and really struggled in his transition, um, was hitting, I think, below 200 for quite some time. Uh, since turned it around a bit, it's got the average up to 250. But he's going to have a chance to face pitchers of all levels in the AFL. And so that'll be a good kind of taste for some more double A, triple A potentially competition for him. So I'm going to be really interested in seeing how he does because it seems like he did make some adjustments and it seems to have been paying off and he had a much better second half of the season there in Portland, but still a big step back from his slash line uh, from last year and to begin this year. So I'll be looking to see how he handles AFL and hopefully we'll get a look at um, some similar competition. But that's that's the guy to me that I'm the most interested in out of all those guys that are going to be there. So what about you? Who are you watching? I'm definitely interested in Duran. Um, I think you make a good point because AFL, the level of competition there is often compared to the competition at AA uh, when people try and equate it to a level. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see how he keeps his gains because Duran has been much better um, as of late. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But, but the guy that I'm going to be watching for is Brian Mata, who's just 20 years old. Um, he's already thrown a ton of innings this year. He's uh, thrown in 55 uh, innings. Um, and he had, I'm sorry, not 55, uh, 105. <laughs> That's what I meant to say. Big difference. <laughs> yes. Um, which is his career high in innings. Um, so I was a little surprised to see him included on this, to be honest, that he was going to go there and throw more. Um, but Brian Mata being that he's only 20, I'm going to be looking to see how he continues to try and figure out the level because he has pitched a lot better than his line at, um, at double A so far. Um, and I'm going to be curious to see how he looks there 
Um, I'm also going to be curious to see how Tanner Houck is used. They've talked about moving him back to starter, and then they've also talked about you know keeping him in relief. So I'm going to be curious to see if they stick to one of those two things. Um, and then I guess the last one here is Johan Ibar, and, and Matt and I talked about this briefly on the uh, the Sox, uh, Locked On Red Sox podcast, but Johan Ibar has had a really up-and-down season, um, but the lefty has a, an absolutely electric fastball and seems to have really harnessed something over the last month or so and is pitching incredibly well over the last month. So it'll be curious to see how he looks and whether his performance in the AFL impacts the Red Sox decision to protect him or not in the Rule 5 draft because, you know, lefties like this who throw really hard and have potential are the prototypical guys who are taken in the Rule 5 draft. So it does stand to reason that, you know, the Red Sox aren't going to be the only team looking at this guy. So be monitoring how he's going to pitch. We've seen what Josh Taylor can do for the Red Sox. So could have another Josh Taylor here. Yeah. I guess that wouldn't be a bad thing, given the state of pitching in general. But I think you bring up a good point about Brian Mata, that the innings, um, AFL is not a long season, but it's still more innings and more pitches on these guys. And quite often you see um, pitchers who had seasons cut short due to injury uh, or got a late start from like a late injury season before, but still have a lot of innings basically left on their clipboard for the season, and that would not be Mata's case. So he's just going to be adding a lot, uh, a few more innings on top of what he's already thrown. Uh, so that will be interesting to see how basically just tired he is through this and how he handles that level of competition. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any, any more thoughts before we move on from these AFL rosters? Yeah. Okay. Let's I'm move. Yeah. All right. So I want to talk about the Red Sox upcoming schedule. I've already told you that they're five games back of the wild card. Um, the Red Sox play their toughest two remaining opponents of the season with their next uh, two series. The Red Sox are going to have the Minnesota Twins for three at home, followed by the New York Yankees for four at home. So the nice thing about playing these two teams is that they are at home, which you know, in most years would be an advantage for the Red Sox. Unfortunately, they've been better on the road this year than they have been at home. But Minnesota and New York are still the best opponents remaining on their schedule. Uh, Minnesota in particular is kind of interesting because they just broke the MLB record for most home runs uh, in a season. They broke the record of 268, which was set by the Yankees. Um, and they still have a month to go in the season, which just kind of talks about how ridiculous this this ball is yeah. uh, right now. Um, but this is a team that's very dangerous. Uh, the Red Sox are going to be countering uh, the, the Twins with Porcello, Rodriguez, and Eovaldi. Um, Eovaldi was much better last time out. Porcello has been pitching better as of late. So I think that you know this is not terrible pitching-wise. Um, the Twins, though, they don't know who they're going to put out on the mound on September 3rd because Kyle Gibson was just sent down to the uh, injured list with ulcerative colitis. Um, but they're going to have uh, Berrios, Jose Berrios, who's their ace, and Perez, uh, who's been pitching pretty well this year. So this is going to be a really tough series for the Red Sox, but they're really going to need to 
Take two out of three at least from Minnesota and probably three out of four from New York if they want to realistically stay in this wild card hunt. Yeah, this is not going to be easy. Uh, and I guess if there's one thing to fall back on, it's Porcello's last start against the Twins. Uh, and that was against Jose Barrios. Um, and he was able to out-duel him and put up his, uh, probably would say his best start of the, the entire year. So hopefully he has that fresh in his mind and he's ready to go and goes out there and, and gets a win. But this is, yeah, this is not going to be easy at all. No, it's it's going to be incredibly difficult. And I think one of the things that I'm looking forward to is Nate Eovaldi. Because last time we saw Nate Eovaldi pitch um, in the first game of the Angels series, he went four innings, struck out eight, and only allowed one earned run. Um, he looked markedly better than he has at any other point this season. Yeah, he did, for sure. And it'll hopefully he'll be able to keep that going. Um, he's had other stints when he was uh, in the bullpen to begin where he looked sharp, uh, and then he f- would follow it up with like three earned and a third of an inning in a relief appearance. So it's been still been really inconsistent, but it's something that's really strong that he can build on going forward. And because it's going to be against a really tough opponent who likes to go yard, uh, if he can keep that momentum going through to the Twins, I mean, that'll be a massive boost for him. Yeah, it sure will. The Twins have kind of a good lineup, though. It's like They do. It's not exactly surprising that these guys hit a million dingers. Uh, Kepler having a career year. Polanco having a career year. Nelson Cruz, man, why doesn't that guy age? He's 39 years old. Well, uh, I mean, Ortiz, right? He was doing the same thing at a very old age. So it's just some of these guys, when they can hit bombs, they just keep hitting bombs. It's ridiculous. So he's having his best WRC plus season ever this year. Guess his WRC plus. Well, if it's his best ever, must be like 140. Higher. Wow. 155. Higher. 165. 163. He's batting 309, 390, 643 with 34 home runs on the season and a 333 isolated slugging. That's incredible. That's pretty impressive. And his previous best was in 2015 with the Mariners. He had a 44 home run season, batted 302, 369, 566 with a 158 WRC plus. Uh, it's just remarkable what he's been able to do at his age. And certainly, I think the ball has helped him. Um, you know, Minnesota used to be a place where hitters went to die. Um, you know, just a nearly impossible park to hit a ball out of. But they've Changed the dimensions there a little bit, and the ball, I mean, it's it's just crazy. If, if I was to predict the team that would break the home run record five years ago, Minnesota would, would have been among the last with, like, the Giants and probably Oakland among teams that I would have guessed. Yeah. That's, yeah, I mean, I'd say that's pretty true. But, I mean, we've also seen it kind of go the other way, too, with um... – Baltimore has the record for most home run. They, I guess, I don't know if you would say broke, but 
pass the record for most home runs allowed, too. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just homers all over the place. And they did that like two weeks ago. <laughs> so there's still a lot of season left for that to get piled up there. But just, yeah, the homers and the ball of the season, I mean, it, the, there shouldn't be any more questions or doubt about how it's performing. But it's performing that way for everybody. So Yeah, that's true. Um, do you have any thoughts on the Twins and second base and center field situations for them? So right now their lineup looks like the rookie, Luis Arez, uh, is getting starts at second base more often than Jonathan Scope is. And also in center field recently, Jake Cave has gotten a lot of time with Byron Buxton sitting on the bench uh, a frequent amount, and he's you know, um, coming back from the injured list as well. But do you expect um, that to continue? Or, you know, who are you looking for getting the majority of the playing time in those situations? Because Cave Cave is played in right, too, I should say. Yeah. I'm not surprised that uh, Buxton has been going to the bench because um, he's basically a much more fragile Jackie Bradley Jr., um, he's always had the potential to be better, but just hasn't gotten there, and then just always constantly hurt, but plays really strong defense and can run. So I'm not surprised that they're looking for something a little bit more reliable. Scope I am surprised about. Um, I've been a, a Scope fan for a few years now, uh, so I am surprised to see. I mean, he's not having an outstanding year by any measure, but he's a guy that can still you know, sock a bunch of dingers. And it's not like the average in OBP has been really detrimental to the team. So that one is a bit more surprising. Um, But I don't think it's really going to matter who's playing second base for them. It's still going to be an extremely difficult lineup to navigate. Yeah, I mean, for for, uh, the rookie there, Luis Arez, um, he's not exactly a power hitter. But he has been getting on base at a remarkable clip since he came up. He's got a 399 OBP over 69 games played, um, almost 300 at, uh, plate appearances now. So it's not exactly a small sample size. I'm not sure I no. believe that he's like a, a true talent 120 WRC plus player, but I see why the Twins have been using him. Yeah, absolutely. Can't win games if you don't get on base. Yeah, it's a good lineup, uh, and the Red Sox are unfortunately going to see Probably their two best starters in Perez and Berrios. Uh, Odorizzi, they do miss, so that's that's a good thing. Um, it's going to be a tough lineup. Yankees are going to be tough after them, too. We, we know what that's about. But the Red Sox, we have to remember, did win um, their last series against the Twins. So hopefully they can keep that going. They did. This It seems like this is... The stretch here is ripe for a letdown, though, because the the 2019 Red Sox have really been their signature move is building up expectations going into uh, an important stretch of games and then having a major letdown. You could almost say that they've been a factory of sadness. They have. They have been a factory of sadness. <laughs> <laughs> it's unfortunate. Yeah. But yeah, I kind of agree with you. It would be so 2019 Red Sox to just tank in these two series at home. Yep. And that's, in particular, the at-home piece, because they started off that 
14-game stretch against Tampa and New York, performing very well on the road. And then they lost six straight at home. <laughs> so that's that's not ideal. No, it's not what you want. It's <laughs> no. not what you want. All right, let's move on from this to our listener questions. We have a couple more today. I think everybody's kind of sleepy over the long weekend here. So we didn't get too many questions today, but we did get one from Mike Teague, which I thought was pretty funny. And he said, since it's fantasy football season and the Red Sox evidently draft football players, talking about Felipe Franks, who they just drafted this year, quarterback at Florida, if you had to use a fantasy football pick on a current MLB roster Red Sox player, who would you draft and what position would he play? Do you have a guy ready to go or do you want me to go first? Uh, yeah, stall for me. Okay. My guy would be Jackie Bradley Jr., and I would draft Jackie to play slot receiver. Jackie's not that tall. He's 5'10", but he's super strong, extremely athletic. I think he could take a hit. Um, you know, he's a big South Carolina Gamecocks guy. I'm sure he went to the football games while he was playing baseball there. I feel like he could catch some passes over the middle, have him work out with Julian Edelman, um, I don't know if he's nearly as crazy as Julian. Well, I know that he's definitely not as crazy as Julian, but you do need to be a little bit insane to be a slot receiver. So hopefully he could change his mindset a little bit. But um, I think that's the pick I'd go with. So he was the first one that came to mind too because he just he's feels like the most built like a football player. Yeah, he's strong without being like, you know, just – monstrously huge say mitch moreland as a uh a blocking tight end who gets okay like three red zone targets a game i could see that like a like a Dwayne allen type type player yeah yeah actually the the current patriots could could probably use that right now (laughs) sadly they could (laughs) Uh, that's a good question, though. I I, I I wanted to say Mookie or Benintendi or, like, one of the more athletic guys, but I just feel like those guys would have got crushed in football. They're so small. Yeah. Maybe uh, Chris Sale is a quarterback. He's nice and tall. And <laughs> doesn't need to get hit. Yeah, he, uh, he might be able to rival um, – What's his name? The Redskins QB. Have you been watching? Uh, not Redskins. Um, the Raiders. Uh, have you been watching the Hard Knocks? I haven't. Derek uh, Carr. Not Derek Carr. One of the backups. Um, no, I don't know their backups are. I'm blanking on him, but one of them is this like super tall, skinny guy. Um, oh man, it's gonna bother me if I don't see it. So I'm gonna look at Raiders. <laughs> QB depth chart here. Uh, okay. Here we go. Glennon. Mike Glennon. Oh, so, okay. So, so Glennon is crazy tall. And uh, at one point they had the comedian who does all the voices of like Gruden and all those guys uh, come in. And he was like, Glennon's got a lot of neck. Because he's just got this huge, like, <laughs> ostrich neck. Um, and it was pretty funny. So, yeah. Chris Sale. Have a lot of neck. All right. 
Last question of the podcast comes from Daniel Sargent. He says, here's my question. Do I have to watch the Sox anymore this year? Yeah. Keep watching until they are officially out of it. And then keep watching anyway, or at least listening to this podcast. Yeah. And you know what? Keep watching for all the reasons we told you last time. Like, how many home runs is Xander going to get? How many extra base hits is Devers going to get? Where's such and such player going to end up in, you know, whatever category? How many runs is Mookie going to get? There's plenty of reasons to watch. So, yeah, man, if you if you stuck it out this far, there's, what, 25 games left in the year? Um, I mean, just finish the thing, right? Like, you don't make it to the, the almost conclusion of a two-and-a-half-hour movie and then just be like, nah, you know what, forget the last 20 minutes. Like, even if it sucks... You stay and you finish that movie, right? Yeah, I mean, you think Frodo made it to Mount Doom and then was like, nah, guys, let's just go back to the Shire. Yeah, it would have been disastrous. Yeah. No one would have bought that book. No, no one would have bought that <laughs> book. Um, that's our show, Keaton. We uh, Any more thoughts on the Shire or Hobbits or anything before we... <laughs> I mean, I always here? have thoughts on, on Hobbits, but... Uh, We'll save that for out. All right. Well, if you enjoyed the show, we appreciate download, and uh, we hope you subscribe to us. You can do so on anywhere you're listening to your podcasts. You can also rate and review us. You can log on, give us a five-star review. We do appreciate that. And um, you can also follow us on Twitter. You can follow Keaton on Twitter at the Spoken Keats. You can follow me at @defjake. And you can follow the Over the Monster account at, at Over the Monster. So thanks so much for listening, and we'll be with you next week. Bye.